On this episode of Resi Week, we talk everything set networks and expo for cinema. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 354, Everything Set. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by three of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Bob Archer. He is the senior editor at CE Pro. How you doing, Bob? Good yourself, Matt. You're doing fantastic. Thank you for joining us, sir. Then we have Alex Capasolantro. He is the founder of Josh AI. How you doing, Alex? Doing great. Always happy to be here. Thank you for joining us as well. And last but certainly not least, one of my friends from the great New York area, Mr. Mosey Levy. He is a senior or the senior nerd at Backstage AV. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It has been a minute. So thanks for coming back. All right, gentlemen, let's kick this off with a story that comes to us from a residential tech today and Jay Basin, uh, how the everything set box handles smart home network security. Uh, I will forgive you if you haven't heard of the everything set. It is a uh, fairly brand new smart home network device <coughs> that uses AI to, to monitor the way in which devices connect to your network and what they do when they're on the network, and thus, again, using the AI to try to determine if and when there's any malicious activity. Uh, So Jay goes through a a really good overview of the product uh, and then deploys it in his house and and does some some testing with it. So go read the article. It's full of a bunch of very good information on this product. Now, again, it's in a beta right now, so it's very brand new. But it's a really, really cool concept and something that we're seeing more and more in the residential world. Bob, let me let me start with you on this. How do we go about, uh, as an industry, managing what's on the network and where that data goes for our clients and in their homes? Is that our job? That's a good question. Uh- I, I don't know. I, I think it probably depends on the level of sophistication from a particular dealer. I, I think if you're an AV guy or an AV guy at heart, that might be a tough thing to execute unless you partner with the right company. Um, I, I think we're still in the very early stages of offering services like that. I, I would say if you can farm that out to a third party with more expertise, that would probably be the best way to go. Yeah, that's a good point. Alex, this is one of those products and one of those product segments that I flip-flop on a lot. On one hand, I'm all about let's lock the heck out of that network. Let's keep it as secure as possible. Um, And then I'm well aware that even in our corporate environments, where we do that on a policy level, like a corporate policy level, uh, employees sign their life away when they get connected to the network, and then they show up with any ridiculous device that makes their office cooler and they've destroyed our policy in, in the building. How do we go about 
dictating those policies or, or, or even creating a policy for us internally as a company to then go out and, and do that for our customers? And how do you guys as a, as a fairly network heavy um, manufacturer, what do you guys do internally so that your product is as secure as possible? Great question. There's a lot there to unravel. And I'll be honest, I'm also just trying to figure out this everything set box of what exactly they do and, and what their role is. It seems like there are quite a few companies that are kind of in this space or doing something you know, with some of the same features in mind. I believe their approach is what seems to be a lower cost option, although I'm not really sure exactly what their pricing is. But what's interesting about this to me is the fact that I know if someone were trying to break into my home network right now, I'd have no idea. I'm not monitoring for this. I'm not you know, using a tool like this. It's going to help me know when, when malicious activity is happening. And so I think these, these products and these tools are wonderful. That being said, I agree with Bob. If you're not really, really well-versed in the space, there's a big learning curve to really understand is it set up right? Are there back doors? Are you really in the position of being liable? Should there be something that happens that you don't know about? And so I think there's a lot that needs to be understood before the, I'll say, average integrator should feel comfortable deploying these products and putting their reputation on the line. That being said, I'm a big fan that more knowledge and more just awareness about how data is flowing in and out of the building, the better. It doesn't always mean you can act on it. But if you're aware that there's a lot of data that's being siphoned out or something that's coming in, you know, there are so many different ways of attacking systems. I think that's ultimately a net positive. Whether or not, you know, an, an integrator in some city should think about embracing this, for me, it's kind of like the metaverse. At some point, probably today, maybe not yet, maybe wait and see a little bit, you know, watch how it develops. In terms of how we think about this as a manufacturer, we are always, always, always building our just encryption tools, our protocols, the ability with which we see into devices, devices see into us. All of the ways that we're connecting need to be locked down, they need to be secure, and they need to be evolving because the ways that you can get into a product today didn't exist two years ago. And the ways that you're gonna break in two years from now, we can't even think about that right now. And so we're spending a lot of time really understanding what are the state-of-the-art protocols? What are ways with which we know people can get in? How do we protect against that? But to your point, it just takes one, you know, sort of, you know, off the market product that opens up a back door where someone could conceivably get in. And so what we do on the control side is we make sure that products today are not going to control what we're doing. We're really more of a one-way system. You give a voice command or an app-based command or an automation command through Josh, and that tells Crestron to do something. That tells Lutron to do something. That tells Sonos to do something. We're not really doing it the other way around, partly because of security reasons, right? We don't want to run the risk that someone's able to start unlocking doors, opening garages, you know, triggering vulnerabilities. It's definitely an evolving space, though, and I will admit. I'm not an expert on this. I know we try to do our best. I hire really smart people, but I kind of go back to Bob's point. There are people who are experts and I think we need to figure out ways to identify them and partner with them and try to bring them into this space because it's a very complicated world to understand. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mosey, I'm, I'm really glad you're here for this one because A, I, I know we've talked enough over the years. I know a little bit about your business and, and 
how you guys are set up and, and the world in which you work. Um, there are a lot of customers that we all work for that require high level networks. And there's a lot of customers that we all work for who have, you know, something from the ISP and they just want better Wi-Fi. And that's where we come in to give them better Wi-Fi. At what point do we as integrators have to take ownership, quote unquote, of the network when we don't own it? The ISPs own it. They're, they're, they own the routers. They own, heck, half the time, the Wi-Fi extenders. We're just hanging stuff on it. And there's all this talk about the AV community needs to own the network. And yes, there are clients that we can do that for. But I know my local ISP has Wi-Fi 6 pucks that none of my manufacturers can touch from a price point. And my clients don't care. So do I own that network just because I put some smart TVs on it? Really depends on the level of systems you're putting out. Um, we, we always own the network as much as possible. Anytime we haven't, we just run into issues. And so we have a very, very um, um, standard network that we put in place. And you know, as we design these projects, the larger it is, the more important the network design is. Um, so absolutely owning the network gives us more stability, especially when it's the same network we deploy everywhere. Deploy everywhere. Um, in terms of security, you know, Alex, you really said a lot of great things. It was really very interesting. Um, in the past, we, you know, two years ago, how we would have our clients access their crash run systems, let's say, is by opening a port and forwarding a port. And that's not something we have to do anymore. We have a cloud relay. Josh, you don't have to open any ports for Josh AI, which is amazing. So um, one of the things we've done on security is we've made sure that zero ports are open for surveillance or crash run or Josh or anything like that. Um, and, and so that helps a lot, but we, we personally don't think about security on a high level. Um, there are so many things that we have to consider when designing these large systems and security is, is not yet taking up that brain space for us. Clients haven't mentioned it, hasn't been an issue so far. And so, um, when you said Alex that, you know, is it important? Yes. Is something we have to worry about today? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but so far. We have not. So I am interested in seeing what this product is and how much it would cost. And if it's something that I really have to sell to a client or if it's something easy to slip in and if it would really accomplish something for us. So let me just kind of pull the three of you before we move on. If we as an industry own the network, but we don't own the security of the network, do we actually own the network? For me, owning the network is the power of seeing everything that's happening. It's the ability to uh, create port, uh, DHCP reservations and just have control instead of having to email someone to do something for me or, or call an ISP to do something for me. That, for me, is owning the network. In terms of someone else managing the security, that doesn't take away the ownership in terms of the features I care about on the day-to-day -day of, of managing these AB systems. All right, gentlemen, let's change topics for a second. This comes to us from Residential Systems and Sam Cavett. Uh, <coughs> read through this. It's a, a CDO expo for the cinema concierge. Read through this article from Sam. Uh, they, they cover a really good aspect of essentially trying to determine a way to get full force um, cinema experiences and make that available for clients and, and for customers on the whole. Um, 
again, it's a, it's a really good article going about that. Alex, let me, let me start with you on this. Cinema was kind of to a degree, part of where Cedia started from. And obviously we've seen that kind of shift away a little bit as people, uh, your, your average consumer, your average customer, their quote unquote cinema is a TV with a sound bar and maybe some rear speakers. If it's got surround sound, that can be a cinema to them. Uh, and that actually fits the definition of cinema. Um, is there a way in which we can, as a, as a broad industry, create true cinema experiences um, that people can demo? Or is this something that, again, is just going to maintain its status as a very niche market? Ooh, I did not think that's where you were going, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting way to take this. So I guess let me just start by giving my personal opinion about home cinema, because sure. most of the industry will disagree with me. And that's that's just my perspective. So I came into this industry thinking that I personally don't care a lot about the home cinema for myself or for a lot of the people I know. And I'm fortunate to know people who have homes in Beverly Hills, homes in Aspen, homes in Manhattan. You know, they're spending a lot of money on a lot of things. But the traditional home cinema is, from what I can tell, a very small percentage of, of the homes that I go into and, and the time that people spend compared to what we as an industry are offering with connected lighting, with amazing living room experiences, with running these, you know, entertainment scenes that are adjusting great sounding music and lighting and shades and everything else that's happening. And my general feeling is high quality audio, high quality video, great screens, super important, but whether or not the home cinema market is going to be growing or shrinking is, is something that I spent a lot of time thinking about. Now, all that being said, for those who can see me, we have, in my opinion, the best home cinema remote with Josh and Ava that I've been using, and it's just freaking incredible for the space. So I get it. There's a place for it. I've certainly been in home cinemas that blow my mind. My business partner's got one of these, for example. He's got the Barco Loki projector with you know a crazy surround system. I mean, you know, it's it's a pretty epic system. That being said, I worry that the number of dealers who focus on nothing but home cinemas, they have showrooms that pretty quickly feel outdated. Their businesses, from what I can tell, often seem like they're getting smaller. Now, not all of them, but oftentimes they don't seem to be thriving at the same level that other dealers that are doing more whole home solutions are doing. And then I think about you know projects like what was Theo's uh, home system that was trying to make them make smart homes more approachable? Rava. Rava. Thank you. Yeah. So Rava was one of these, you know, approaches of, you know, can we put a home cinema in a box and just make it very easy for a dealer to not have to do all the design work and all the creativity and just, you know, kind of make it happen. And it, it seems like a challenge. And again, I'm not saying that there isn't a market for it. I just think that the market for everything else that's needed. We talked about owning the network. The network touches everything. You've got, you know, people working from home. You've got, you know, the living room experience that Matt was describing. You've got all of these different needs. I just personally worry that I don't, I don't think if I were starting an integration company today, this, the home cinema would be my pure focus. It doesn't mean I couldn't do it as, you know, one of a number of things, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't make it my pure focus. 
So going back to this article, do we need a CEDIA or rather an expo for the home cinema? There are people on the other end of the spectrum to me, people who this is all they do, this is all they believe in, this is you know the most important thing ever, and they should certainly have a place. And I would support that. And I think there's a need for it. Um, that being said, I do wonder, are they getting enough out of CD Expo? Because I heard that some of the best experiences during Expo were the home theater, mm -hmm. home cinema type demos that were set up. I mean, you know, I think the best demo experience award or one of the awards I was hearing about was exactly that. It was that collaboration between a number of different companies forgetting what they call it, the ultimate cinema experience or something. Yeah. All right, Mosey, let me, let me ask you this. Um, I am a true believer in one of the easiest ways to sell something is for someone to experience it. As somebody who came from and has a background in stage lighting, I didn't buy into whole home lighting until I put it in my own house. And then I lived with it for a week and was like, this is never coming out. Are the cinema experience, wh wherever you fall on that spectrum, right? Whether it's a really good, you know, audio system in a common room or a fully dedicated, you know, ridiculous room with acoustics like crazy. Being able to experience it, is, is that what makes it a sellable item? Would more people buy better quality rooms? Again, whatever level room that is, if they experience them. Right. So first, I just want to say, Alex, I love how you threw in the Ava remote. Um, <laughs> that was the best product placement I've ever seen on this show. Amazing. Really good. But I'm a huge fan. So like, I approve. <laughs> oh, no. So when is the Josh app coming for the Ava remote? We are ready. Any day. <laughs> it's uh, fu fully built in final beta, released in two weeks. Excellent. Very excited for that. Um, in terms of showrooms... So first, I'm going to say that for surround sound or home theaters, it has become one of the least important things we do. Um, one of the most important things we do are environmental-based. So mm -hmm. lighting, um, you know, window treatments, climate control, uh, fireplace control, pool control, that's been the most, um, had the most conversation with our clients for over the years. Um, now, we did do a really intense home theater last year that was over $100,000, but we've only done two theaters ever. So like 15 plus years of doing this, two major theaters. Um, we do surround sound, but it's like, it's not even a conversation anymore. People don't care about, and, and it could be me, but this is my business. You know, it's, it's my approach to the customers. We don't talk about the sound quality or the, or the surround sound as much as we talk about all the other environmental stuff. Now, mm -hmm. in terms of a showroom and, and, and educating customers before they purchase anything that could be home theater or shades or whatever it is, it is our most important tool during um, the sales process. So <laughs> Crush On has a design showroom in, in uh, Manhattan. It's currently under construction, so we haven't been able to use it for a while. But every time we brought a, brought a client there, you could see them going from um, hesitation to, um, you know, just like desire, like wanting everything they just saw. And it's because they're seeing it in action. They're understanding it more. And so when it's a line item on a quote, they're not feeling it. They don't understand why they're going to spend this money. Um, since we haven't been able to take them to the showroom for the past year, we've taken mm -hmm. our clients to um, 
other clients' homes with permission. And they mm-hmm. see this lighting system in action and all of that in action. And it's a huge, huge, um, you know, value. To, it adds value to that sale as we're going through it. Now, we don't have our own showroom. And I don't know if a showroom that we built would ever be able to really sell as well as um, taking them to a finished home that we just did recently or to a manufacturer showroom. But I truly believe that that experience is key. Yeah, it's in line with my thinking. Bob, let, let's let's kind of wrap this with you. Showrooms went out of style in the industry pretty quickly when 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 I got into residential. That was kind of as it was shifting for all the reasons that Alex brought up. You spend a fortune, you f- outfit it, and by the time you're stinking done doing it, it's outdated, the tech doesn't work, and nobody wants to use it. There are a handful of examples of integrators that have showrooms or have demo homes or have outfitted their own home well enough to the point where they can bring clients through and have that showroom experience. On the flip side, as Mosey said, he's able to leverage Crestron's Experience Center in Manhattan. I'm six hours and a border away from Manhattan. There's some places in Toronto that kind of have some stuff but I'm two and a half hours for most of those. And most of my clients don't care. They're not going to get in a car and drive to Toronto for that. What is your average integrator to do? Is there a, is there an opportunity to find a way to demo something at a level that I, I, again, depending what level you are, it really doesn't matter. There are always people that want to demo it. What do you do with those clients? What do you do with those customers? Or do we need some kind of show that you just plan all of your uh, cinema clients around taking them to? Matt, this has been a topic that's been debated or discussed for... I like to bring it back every six months. Years and years. (laughs) And, you, you know, the AV guys, I think, feel squeezed out because the whole paradigm of the market has turned upside down where once the, you know, these high end home cinemas were like leading the way for these guys to sell, you know, a Crestron system Mm -hmm. or whatever. Now it's completely different where I had a dealer in New Hampshire tell me that, you know, he's selling control four and that he's using Macintosh as an add on to these control four systems. And, um, it made me laugh, like all the power to him. If you can do that, that's a great add on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but the market's completely different and um you know between the cost of real estate the cost of labor the cost of training that labor all, all of this stuff plus the cost of these demo systems even from you know the dealer price points it still isn't enough to kind of foster these uh showrooms that to, to have the equipment necessary to uh put on an experience because particularly with home theater, I think it's really a visceral experience, mm-hmm. you know, whether you, you, are showing, you know, a sports fan, a, a Bruins, a Patriots game or a music fan, a Metallica concert or something. Who's watching a Bruins or Patriots game. A few people are, but <laughs> you know, it's all about the visceral experience of, you know, that guy scoring a goal or that guy making a big run, you know, for, for a touchdown or something. And, uh, People need to experience that. It's hard to sell that out of a catalog or collateral materials or whatever. And it is a conundrum for 
for the industry. And I don't see it turning around. I think the best that dealers can do is possibly if they know they have a big, big, big ticket sale uh, pending that maybe they bring in the manufacturer, whether it be, you know, a Meridian or Barco or Sony or whoever it is, and they get some kind of support where they can bring the client somewhere and demo the system effectively. I certainly know a number of things that don't work. So we built probably three or four years ago, a full VR tool that customers could put on a headset or use their phone or computer and walk around and give voice commands and see lights going on and shades opening and stuff happening until VR gets so good that you can't tell the difference between that and real life. I wouldn't waste any time on that. So VR, in my opinion, not worth it right now. The second thing that's not worth it would be most of the videos that we see people producing, they work as decent marketing tools to show that we're good people and look at us and you know look at the projects we're in, but they don't help sell the experience. And we've made videos, we've seen videos, we've helped consult on videos. I do find, and this is sort of um, maybe an interesting uh, just thing for people to try, the less polished videos, sort of the Instagram live, you're walking around the phone, there's no editing, we're not slicing, we're just using the environment around us. Those help a little bit more because they show people, wow, this is reliable, this is working, this is happening, but it only gives you 1% of the experience. You're not having the entire immersive experience happening. And so then I think back to, you know, Walt Disney was a genius creating Disneyland. You know, you're hitting every emotion, you're getting people, you know, excited, you're getting them to, to feel something. And so as a manufacturer, I'm in the middle right now of designing an experience center with my team in Denver, because we know that Cedia Expo is going to be in Denver for a number of years. It's easy to bring people over. And when I can put you in a room, turn off all the lights and then walk you through a day in the life of, you know, a smart home experience, it gets you to remember why this stuff is so exciting. You know, it makes you smile. It makes you, you know, think like, what could I do with this? And so not every integrator is going to be able to pull that off, but I do think there are going to be opportunities to try to work with more integrator manufacturer sort of partnerships. Like I think about in Manhattan, Ed Gilmore has a great partnership with Planar. So, you know, they allow him to, or not even allow, they pay for a bunch of the showroom, I believe, in order to get their products. And then he lets other integrators use the space. He lets CDA use the space. And I wonder if there are opportunities, certainly not in every city, but in the big cities to do more of that stuff. Um, Cause I do think seeing is believing and firsthand experience is great, but I'll tell you, we've tried a lot, we've seen a lot. And to Bob's point, like another brochure is not gonna get someone emotionally bought in. Yeah, that's the truth. I do think the one benefit the industry has is that, you know, particularly with younger consumers is that more and more people are getting comfortable buying stuff online so maybe an older person is more comfortable going in person to a showroom and buying some big ticket item but younger people these days whether it's mattresses or shoes or whatever it is electronics they're more comfortable buying it you know online and having it sent to their house so you know maybe that's part of how things are done going forward it's a great way to violate your dealer agreement too hopefully <laughs> the dealer gets referred by that particular company but very much so. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Mosey, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Backstage AV, where can they do that? Uh, so our website is bav.nyc. I'm on Instagram as Motech, M-O-T-E-C-H, M-O-T-E-C-H. 
and I'm on Facebook everywhere. You you guys see me. So excellent. Thank you, sir. Alex, thank you for joining us. If people want to connect with you, learn more about Josh AI, where can they do that? You know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, the website's Josh on AI, anything other than Twitter. <laughs> wow. Bob, if people want to connect with you, learn more about CE Pro and, and follow random jujitsu stuff, where can they do that? <laughs> they can go and following Alex's lead there. Let's steer away from Twitter. I do have an Instagram account and that is a BA1, the number one Boston at Instagram. So that's my Instagram account. But otherwise, for everything CE Pro, um, go to cepro.com. Excellent. Thank you again. Thanks to everyone for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, I am still on Twitter uh, at Matt D. Scott and all the other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit aviation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.